Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Taboo. Good morning. Hey, it's good to see everybody. I got to tell you what's funny. So uh, for those, if this is your first time in eight weeks, uh, I'm pastor here, River Community Church. <laughs> My name is Steve Taboo, and I've been on an eight-week sabbatical. And yet what's funny is like I see you guys in restaurants uh, the last eight weeks, and I think, oh, no, I haven't seen them in church last six weeks or something. And then I realize, oh, I haven't been in church last six weeks. That's why. <laughs> So it's like I bump into people at the store or whatever, and I have those thoughts, and I realize just how much I miss this place. So I'm grateful. Thank you for letting me go. Uh, took the last two months, and uh, first third of the time, I spent vacation, relaxing, not answering any emails or trying not to answer any phone calls. And, and then the second third, I, I spent just learning. And I kind of mixed it all up, but... I went to 10 different churches during that time. I was trying to do two on a Sunday just to see what all God's up to. I got to travel to Kansas and Michigan and New Orleans to go see some churches that are really doing some amazing things and, and just to learn. That was, that was part of it. I just wanted to learn and see what else God is doing all around our country. And, and then the last third was just getting prepped to come back. And I, I got to tell you, I, I sent TJ, poor TJ, I seem like a list of 20 new ideas I've got, and I said, now, well, I, I won't scare everybody and share that in staff right away, I'll just try to spread that out, uh, but it was a great time, and so I just wanted to start by saying thanks, thanks for letting me go, it was really refreshing, and uh, I, I'm excited, I'm excited to be back, one of the things I, I will say, I got to go to a lot of different services, and there's no place I'd rather be. Our praise team, man, just the heart and the giftings that they have and the way they lead us in worship each Sunday. Uh, our audio team, I know Jimmy had a little trouble this morning, but probably out of the 10 churches I went to, audio and video was probably seven out of 10 had problems. That stuff is just, there's so many different things you gotta plug in and know. Uh, so I, I was very grateful. And uh, when we started the church 20 years ago, our heart was to see this community be a light, so much so that it, that light would go into the whole nation. It would make an impact globally. And uh, one of the things that stirred my heart that really bothered me was a, a statistic I had heard that no county in America from 1990 to 2000 had grown in their church attendance percentage in that time. And in the whole country is what the study said. I think it was George Barna. And that just disturbed me. And, you know, it was our prayer that we get to see a work in our county that we could look back and go, wow, maybe we're the only one. I'm grateful. You know, as we're able to plant this church, we planted a church in Monterey. We planted a church in Baxter. Uh, we, we saw Life Church get started from uh, small roots to grow to where it's at. We've seen Breakthrough Church started, Kino started. Uh, so many new works started in our community 
Uh, that I, I want to see. I want to see if, if the last 10 years, if we've not seen an increase percentage-wise, because I, I think the Lord's done some amazing things in our church and, and in our community as well, not just ours, but the others. And uh, right before I left, we were able to get to partner with a, uh, two Hispanic pastors, and they are launching a Spanish-speaking congregation called Rios, which means river, in the Jerry Whitson community. So we're uh, coming alongside to support and sponsor that new work. And, and I can't wait to see what God does there to reach that community uh, of folks who, man, they've got some, some things going on that I can't even imagine. I can't speak one language well. I can't imagine having my kids go to school in a different language and my whole culture and community being a different language. So they're able to speak into that. So I, I'm, I'm excited about that as well. So be encouraged that uh, there, there may be problems in the world. Anybody notice there's problems in the world? Anybody hear problems in the world? It's like, I mean, you turn on the news for about 30 minutes and you, know, you wanna go take some medication or something, right? But take heart, God is at work all over this country, and lives are being changed, and the Bible is being preached, and where the Bible is being preached, people are being set free. They're finding the hope that God offers, and so I, I believe, I came back even more encouraged than ever, that the local church is the hope of the world, and that we can make such an impact that the whole world notices so today we're going to be in Second uh, Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 34, Second Chronicles chapter 34. Now, if you're reading through the Bible in a year, I'm going to be a little bit ahead of, of what you've actually read. So this will give you something to hear for once and then go back and read it as it comes through this next week. And Second uh, Chronicles 34, we're looking at a guy named Josiah, and Josiah was one of the, one of the kings. But I want to give you a little background to Josiah, because this, if you think the world is in a rough spot today, just realize how bad it was during the time of Josiah. Okay, Josiah's grandfather, his name was Manasseh. He was also king of Judah, and Manasseh was one of the most evil kings ever. If you read about Manasseh, you realize that it says that he even offered his children as sacrifices to the God of Molech. Means as an act of worship to this pagan God, this heathen God, he would offer that baby and they would take that child's life as an offering to satisfy that God. And he, he led the people. It said that he, he led the people of Judah into such evil that it was greater than even the nations around them that didn't believe in God. That was his grandfather. Now, he did have an end-of-the-life conversion. Manasseh did. If you read it, it's one of the biggest, most dramatic changes in the Bible of somebody that was so evil. And then at the end of his life, he's taken into captivity and he's, uh, he, he genuinely repents and confesses before God, God forgives him, restores him, and then he begins to make some changes, and then he dies, and his son Amnon takes over. He didn't last very long, only two years, because it said that he was more evil than his dad, and so he was assassinated. And then we see where Josiah, who we're looking at today, came on the scene, and he was only eight years old when he started. 
Now, how many of you would vote for an eight-year-old for president? You know, it's like, we got 80-year-old, right? But eight, eight to 80, take the, I don't know. But, but eight years old, I, I don't think I want my eight-year-old running the country. Obviously, he had advisors around him. But at eight years old, he became the king. And yet, thankfully, he had good advisors around him. And he was one of the best kings that they ever had. So uh, let's read the first passage here. Second Chronicles chapter 34 is where Josiah is bringing these reforms. He's having them restore the, the temple worship. They're cleaning the building up. And what we see here is while they're cleaning the building up, they discover the sacred scrolls, basically the Old Testament. Here's what it says. It says, while they were bringing out the money collected at the Lord's temple, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord that was written by Moses. Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the court secretary, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Then Hilkiah gave the scroll to Shaphan. And you can read the next following verses. They take it to the king. And then scoot down to uh, verse 19. Verse 19 says, when the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to speak to us. Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful as I get to look out at all my friends and uh, get to be back home again, Lord, with everybody. I'm thankful that you have created this hodgepodge of people like us and, and you call us your family. And we get to do this together. And I, I just come before you, Lord, and I ask that your Holy Spirit this morning would speak to each one of us that we would realize that revival can take place, that you can revive not just our hearts, but you can move in our city and our nation and the world. And Lord, that's what we ask for. I know it starts with us, God, and so I pray today that each one of us would have our hearts open, that your spirit would, would, would nudge us, convict us, rebuke us, and Lord, even if you got to bring the, the two by four, Lord, whatever it is that we might enter into your close fellowship and see you, know you, and walk with you. We hunger after that, God, we really do. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you got your listening guide, you can pull that out. You can pull your phone out. You can take your notes on your phone. We, we put that stuff in there just to help you remember what's being shared and um, what we're talking about. You can take it with you. The first thing I want you to see is that God's word has the power to change us. They were so excited to find the scrolls. It had been generations since they had had the Word of God read to them. It had been generations since they had a Bible to read. Do you realize that the church existed without the written Word of God for the average man for over 1,200 years? That they only had pieces of it. And they would memorize those pieces, and then that's how they would share them. They didn't have a printing press. It wasn't until the printing press came around that everybody could begin to get a copy, and it was hundreds of years after that because it was an expensive process. You and I, we take for granted the fact that we can have a Bible or two or seven on our shelves, right? 
And so many times we take for granted in such a way that we don't even read what we have. I had a, a pastor that I was listening to speak, and he was talking about his trip to China and, and how he was going there to teach them was the idea. And as he got there, he said that he noticed none of them had a Bible. And they're supposed to be studying, I think, the book of Philippians. And he was a little bit perturbed that none of them had a Bible because he said, you know, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up. We're going to start in verse 1. And, and he asked the translator, why, why don't they have their Bibles? He said, oh. He said, they can't get caught with a Bible. He said, most of them have already been in jail for preaching. He said, so they don't need the Bible. When you ask them to study Philippians and that's what you're going to teach, they all memorized the books before they came. So everybody in that room had the, the book of Philippians memorized when they got there. And of course, that pastor said the same thing I would have, which is, can I learn from them? Let me learn from them, right? We are so blessed with the written word of God, let us not take it for granted and ignore what it has to say. And so I believe God's word has the power to change us. It was changing the people. It changed Josiah. He rent his clothes. That, that was a, an expression of great brokenness and sadness. So he, he ripped his clothes and he cried out to the Lord. I would say to you that revival comes when we apply the word of God to our lives. Now there's this big cultural shift going on right now. To, to one, uh, discredit the Bible, and two, to demonize the Bible. So to, to discredit it, uh, there's been folks trying to say, well, this wasn't written at this time, that wasn't written at that time. And what's amazing, if you ever get a chance, the case for faith, Lee Strobel, if you go back and read his book, he was a uh, writer for the Chicago Tribune, and he was in a situation where his wife got saved and got excited about the Lord, and it was freaking him out because they had always said they would have no religion in their house. But all of a sudden, she started walking with the Lord, and he literally, if you watch the movie, there's a movie and a book, he felt sad for her that she was being confused and betrayed, so he sought out to get all the information he could to prove Christianity wrong and the Bible to be a, a book of fables. And after he did all his study and interviewed all kinds of people, he came to the conclusion, the Bible is accurate and true, and he turned his life over to Jesus Christ, and it changed him forevermore. Now he writes books on it, he gives talks on it, because he was willing to dig in. That's why for me as a Christian, I'm not afraid of science. I'm not afraid of discussions about the Bible. I'm not afraid to have those conversations or the hard questions because I believe God's word has the answer for us. And the more we can dig in, the more we'll find the truth. But we gotta dig, we gotta seek. And so uh, Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now, this is where the Bible kind of messes me up. Is I'll be reading a passage, and I'll be struggling with something. Maybe, uh, maybe my wife and I had an argument, and I'm confident she's wrong in what she thought, and, and then I'll read a passage, and then all of a sudden, it will 
penetrate my heart and the Holy Spirit will say, you're the idiot in this situation. You need to ask forgiveness. I'll be in a situation where I'm confident the direction I'm going and, and maybe the way I'm handling a situation and I'm reading the word of God and, and the Holy Spirit will just convict me. Steve, it's not about winning or getting your point across. It's all about love and mercy, grace and compassion. And I'll be like, ah, the word of God, when you read it, it's amazing how it touches you. So I I just want to start by saying that, that if we want revival, we've got to embrace the word of God as truth, read it, and apply it. Well, second thing is that God listens to our true repentance. Now, this is interesting because this guy is a king, okay, Josiah. He's the most powerful man in his nation. And he, he hears the word of God. So we'll start back with verse 19, Second uh, Chronicles 34. Starting back with verse 19. It says, when the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave these orders to Hilkiah, Anakim, son of Shaphan, Akbar, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Asiah, the king's personal advisor. How would you like to have those names? Makes me thankful just for the simple name of Steve right there. Anyway, verse 21. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for all the remnant of Israel and Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger has been poured out on us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing everything the scroll says we must do. So Hilkiah and the other men went to the new quarter of Jerusalem to consult with the prophet Huldah. She was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikna, son of Herhas, the keeper of the temple wardrobe. She said to them, the Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on the city and its people. All the curses written in the scroll that was read to the king of Judah will come true, for my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods, and I am very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will be poured out on this place, and it will not be quenched. But go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you have heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against the city and the people. You humbled yourself and you tore your clothing in despair and you wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You yourself will not see the disaster I am going to bring to this city and its people. So they took her message back to the king. So, what we see is that God's word penetrates his heart and he genuinely repents. And the second thing there is that God listens to true repentance, that he hears when we repent. Now, how many of you have had to have that conversation with your family that saying sorry is not enough? Everybody had to have that conversation? You ever had to, like my kids would would get in an argument and I'd say, okay, y'all need to apologize to each other. And here's what it is. Sorry, sorry. 
I'm like, that's not an apology. That is a, I'm throwing one last dagger at you under the pretense of really apologizing. And so we've taught our kids, and this is how we try to model it in our family, is if we do something wrong to one another, then we have to say, hey, I'm sorry for, and I fill in the blank what it is, I'm sorry for eating your last donut without asking permission. Will you please forgive me for handling all those calories for you? <laughs> Whatever it is, right? right? We actually have them say that. Will you please forgive me? It, there's something about verbalizing it that actually makes you feel the pain of it. Does that make sense? And sometimes I think with God, we just kind of do a, a magic wand at the end of the day. And Lord, forgive me for anything I've done wrong. Amen. Well, if you're really repentant and you say, Lord, is there anything I've done that I need to ask forgiveness for? And then when he convicts us and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit nudges you and reminds you of that conversation you had with the telemarketer on the phone and how rude you were to somebody. I know it's annoying. I don't need, it cracks me up when they call me for a, an auto warranty for a car that's 30 years old, right? But you know what? They're just making a dollar. I can treat them with kindness. When the Spirit of God speaks to us and convicts us, we're called to repent, to turn away from that stuff. And when we do, the Lord hears us. Now, I love the example of Manasseh. You'll have to go back to the chapter, two chapters before to find it out. But Manasseh literally sacrificed his children to pagan gods and encouraged and pushed all the people to worship idols, built altars to these idols. And yet when he genuinely repented, God heard his repentance and forgave him. So in this room today, there's some of you, you're like, no, you don't understand, Pastor. I have done more than I could ever be forgiven for. You need to know that's a lie. That's a lie the devil puts inside of you. Because unless you have like literally thrown two of your children on a fire to be burned as a sacrifice to false gods, then you're not near as, as evil or haven't done the evil things as Manasseh who is forgiven. Now, in my mind, I go, Lord, how can you forgive that? Because God is true to his promise. And his promise is that we confess our sins, he is faithful just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to ask and we have to repent. That means to turn away, to reject that sin and be done with it. Well, the next, the third thing is, is this good news, this good news must be shared and declared. We need to share this. The, the, the people are walking around with these heavy burdens of sin and failures, and they're trying to carry it on their own. And we need to share and declare to everybody that Christ has come to take those burdens and those sins from us. Now, I gotta tell you, there's this great new evangelism app I found while I was traveling. If you might wanna write this down, it was unbelievable, it provides opportunity after opportunity to tell people to share and declare the good news of Jesus. It's called Uber. 
It's genius. You, you, you type this information in, this car shows up, and you get to talk to him about Jesus as long as you can pay for it. It's awesome. It's a transportation app, if you don't know. It's like a taxi cab. But I got to take a lot of Ubers while I was gone, and, and I was like, you know what, Lord? I got time. They got time. They let me sit in the front seat. This is awesome. And so one of the guys we talked to, he was so open, and it just so happens, which means God's planning it from the beginning of time, that he had friends that had been inviting him to church, been talking to him about the Lord. And, and I said, well, can I just share with you my story? He's like, sure. I shared with him my story, how I came to know the Lord. He's like, oh, okay. He was so open. And I was like, well, you just need to start going. He said, you know what? My, my girlfriend and I, we've been talking about that. I, I think maybe we're supposed to. I was like, this is a godsendence, man. I, I mean, I've only taken one Uber in my life. You're the first one. It must be your time, you know? <laughs> and uh, the second one, I started talking to him about the Lord. And I said, has anybody ever shared with you the good news of Jesus? He said, yeah. He said, I became a Christian when I was 17. He said, that's what I do in this job. He's like, people get in my car and I just start talking to them about the Lord because they can't go anywhere. I was like, I like your attitude. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He told me multiple stories of people whose lives have been transformed in his car uh, because he was willing to share and declare what God had done in his life. It's important that we walk the walk, but we've also got to talk the talk. For so many years, I think in the church, people said, Christians are hypocrites because we didn't walk to walk. And so I think the church did a good job. I mean, we're really focusing. This is a seven-day-a-week love relationship we have with God. It's not a list of do's and don'ts and that kind of stuff. But somehow we've been pushed into this corner to say, well, you know, if you talk about your faith, that's, that, that's, that's oppressive and that, that's not a thing that we do in our culture. We don't talk about religion or politics. I'm fine with that. Just talk about Jesus, okay? Just tell people what Jesus has done. Share and declare how he has done things in your life. Let your coworkers know, your friends know. So here's what he did here in 2 Chronicles 34. We'll start with verse 29. Uh, verse 29 says this. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. So he started with the elders. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the Levites and all the people from the greatest to the least. Then the king, so the king himself chooses to share and declare. He doesn't even have the priests do it. He wants them to know that he is all in. Dads. Moms, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, can I just encourage you the next time your kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews come over to the house, that you just take part of the time and sit down and read the Word of God to them. Tell them a story. Tell them a story of your story. I can't tell you the number of people that I talk to who, when I'm talking to them, share with me the most important spiritual leader. Matter of fact, this guy in the Uber said it was his grandma, who she's always reading scripture to him. And he said, he said, she would always say to me, you're special. God has a special plan for your life. And she'd always read scripture over me and pray over me. This guy's probably 40 years old. 
And he's like, man, that just, that was my strength. Now, the world will tell you, don't read the Bible with your kids. They don't want to hear that. It's not cool enough. It, you don't have those cool graphics. And, and the world's just lying. Take the time. Read with them. Pray with them. Love on them. Share and declare these things with those around you. Well, uh, the fourth thing, uh, smash the evil in your life. Smash it, okay? Second Chronicles 34, 33 says, so Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. And throughout the rest of his lifetime, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And then for a little more insight, we go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles overlap in some places. This is one of those. 2 Kings chapter 23, we're gonna start in verse 12. In verse 12, and you can read the whole thing starting in verse four, but in verse 12, it says, Josiah tore down the altars that the kings of Josiah had built, that the kings of Judah had built on the palace roof above the upper room of Ahaz. The king destroyed the altars that Manasseh had built in two of the courtyards of the Lord's temples. He smashed them to bits and scattered the pieces in the Kidron Valley. The king also desecrated the pagan shrines east of Jerusalem to the south mount of corruption where King Solomon, so these things go all the way back to when King Solomon was in power, where King Solomon of Israel had built shrines for Ashtoreth, the detestable goddess of the Sidonians, and for Chemoth, the detestable god of the Moabites, and for Molech, the vile god of the Ammonites. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. Then he desecrated these places by scattering human bones over them. Josiah knew that if he left these places up, that people would return to them. And some of the kings, if, you read, if you're reading Wizards, you'll see that some of the kings brought reforms, but they didn't get rid of the Asherah poles, which is like a totem pole. They didn't get rid of these little places that people go and sacrifice their children or go and worship the god of the wind or the son of Chemoth or Molech or whoever they are. And so over time, people would return. Well, Josiah went all the way. He took it, he smashed it. Why did he smash it? Well, if it's smashed, you can't do it again, right? Now, this fourth point, I thought, when I read those words smash, I was like, man, I've been waiting for years to have a sermon illustration where I could smash something. So I, I thought, I can't, I can't give up this opportunity. So I was thinking, you know, what is it in our lives that we have that pull us away from God. You know, for some of us, it's money, right? For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself's not bad, but we can love it, but smashing money's not much fun because it's, that's it, okay? Then I thought, well, it's ourself, right? How many of us love ourselves? We're fascinated with ourselves. Sometimes we love ourselves more than God. We love ourselves more than others. How do we smash ourselves? We begin to put God first before us. Now, I thought that would be a good thing to smash. And of course, Cheetos. I mean, 
How many of us are controlled by food? I, I battle this one, guys. I'm just telling you. When I went on this trip, and man, they had some of the best barbecue. And it's like, how do you know when to stop when there's pans of it? And they're like, oh, please take more. Might need to smash that. Maybe it's your TV. Maybe you sit there and you just sit there and you veg, as I say. I'm just vegging, babe. Five minutes, 30 minutes, one hour, two, three. How long do you veg? And then you realize you spent more time vegging in front of the TV than you did loving those around you. Well, you might need to take that. I, I haven't practiced any of this if you hadn't noticed. Well, I broke two TVs. Great. Okay. We're going to stop there. We'll talk about it later, guys. Uh, so for some of you, you just need to smash the stuff that's getting in your way. One of my buddies I was talking to battled with pornography, and we were talking about having victory over it. He said, Steve, finally, he said, I, I actually had an iPad that was a separate one that nobody knew about just so I could look at pornography and nobody would know. And he said, one night I was just so disgusted by myself, by my sin, feeling so far separated from God. He said, I was driving down the road and the temptation to, to just pick it up and look again. And he said, in a moment of God-given strength, he said, I rolled the window down and threw my iPad out the window and just kept driving. Said the freedom he felt. Why? Because he made a decision to smash the sin of his life so he could move forward. What is the sin that holds you back, that entangles you? Listen, it's not a sin that, that no one else has ever found. We all have sins that we, we struggle with. Let's just struggle and win instead of struggle and be defeated. Smash those sins. And then the last one is kind of interesting. The last one is out-party the world. Out-party the world. It says the heathens, but uh, that was one of the words that in the Bible, those that don't believe in God. But I, I just think the world is the one that, that says it can party the best. I, I think we have the most to celebrate in this world. And I think part of the challenge is we don't have enough joy in our life to overflow for people to see. I love to have fun, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about true joy that overflows on a regular basis. Now, Josiah implemented the Passover. Now, God designed the Passover a seven-day celebration. Can you imagine we said, we're gonna do church for seven days. We're all gonna show up, and for seven days, we're gonna come, come and celebrate every day. We're gonna have games every day. We're gonna have laughter every day. Kind of like they did with Windshape last week, right? It's like, for seven days, we are gonna focus on, on the Lord and the joy and the gifts and eat, and they ate. So here's, what, here's where it's at. In 2 Chronicles 35, it says, then Josiah, 
2 Chronicles 35.1, then Josiah announced that the Passover of the Lord would be celebrated in Jerusalem. And so the Passover lamb was slaughtered on the 14th day of the first month. And then skip down to verse 17. All the Israelites present in Jerusalem celebrated Passover and the festival of unleavened bread for seven days. Never since the time of the prophet Samuel had there been such a Passover. None of the kings of Israel had ever kept a Passover as Josiah did, involving all the priests and Levites, all the people of Jerusalem, and the people from all over Judah. It lasted seven days. I want to challenge you that when you come on Sunday morning, I want to challenge you to come with expectation. We may not know every song that we sing. I went to different churches, man. There are so many different songs everywhere. I didn't know half of them. One, one church service I went to was uh, old, just it was old time gospel. Old time gospel. And I, I didn't know some of them. But you know what? I don't care anymore. I just want to worship God. I just want to celebrate him. I just want to sing these songs to him and celebrate what he's done and what he's doing. And I, I just want to challenge you. Come on Sunday morning with your, with your worship on. Come on Sunday morning ready to celebrate what God's done. Come ready to celebrate him because of what he's done for you to glorify him. And then I want to encourage you in your life groups, Find one you love to do stuff with the people. Find one that you love to hang out with, you love to pray with, you love to, to fellowship with. God wants us to enjoy this journey. Doesn't mean it won't be hard, let me tell you. We go through hard seasons. People we love get sick. People we love hurt. People we love die. We go through hard seasons of brokenness where we mess up, we gotta fess up, we gotta move on. But the opportunity we are given in Christ Jesus is a gift. So I wanna ask you today, will you take action? Uh, Jimmy's gonna come back out and, and lead us in a song. I'm gonna be up front on the left over here. I wanna encourage you to come kneel. Matter of fact, I'm gonna put my hammer over here and, and maybe you just need to, to write something down and come slam away, and maybe that'll help you. I don't know. There'll be a hole in the stage, but I don't care. Let's, let's get this stuff behind us. And then over here to the right is a place that you can kneel, and someone will come and pray with you, pray over you. In the back, we have a prayer room. If you want someone to, to hear you and just have a conversation, have them pray with you, Maybe it's going through a hard season, loss of a loved one, diagnosis of sickness, cancer. There's so much out there. So if you need prayer, that's what the back prayer room's for. And then I'll be up front. And if you're here today and you're like, Steve, I need to smash, but I need somebody to pray over with me about it. I need to smash, but I need to give my life completely to Jesus. Folks, that's the first step. Just trusting him, doing like Josiah and saying, I'm gonna put God first no matter what anybody else says or does. So if you would stand with me and as Jimmy sings, you respond. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking us out online today. If you want more information about the church or things that's going on here, be sure to check out theriverCC.com or download our app and visit us there. 
Also, as we go through the Bible this year, we want to help keep you engaged on what's being read and talked about each week. To do that, we have a podcast called The Word This Week, which will recap each week's readings, as well as have special guests who will talk about what God showed them that week. So be sure to check that out on all podcast streaming platforms. And again, thanks so much for checking us out online.